Okay, welcome back to another episode. And we are fully on Mercury in retrograde apparently today. I never have that. I never really noticed my, I myself having issues with like technology in my life during Mercury in retrograde. But every time I'm doing something like this, like doing a video thing with somebody else, it's like everybody else is just experiencing that. And I don't know if it's just because I don't have that much technology in my life or what, but we're definitely feeling it today. <laughs> I think I feel it in other ways. <laughs> How are yeah, you? I noticed the Mercury retrograde in terms of like what Anne Ortley talks about in, in her podcast of revisiting and um, having a chance to reassess and um, potentially go about something a new way. I mean, I, I guess mm -hmm. I don't have a ton of technology in my life either. And it's at the moment currently reducing even. So um, yeah, it's not something I typically notice all that much, but, but in the, uh, it's a big, it's a big revisiting period. It's a big chance to go back and do things a different way. Mm. Like, be like, did I really like how that went? I don't think so. I or seeing ghosts. I think that that's what I'm experiencing right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I was thinking, cause right now is the eclipse season, right? So there was last night was a, a lunar, a full lunar eclipse. And then two weeks ago was the solar eclipse. And, um, I feel like I've been feeling, feeling that. And my baby is a Scorpio. So this lunar eclipse is like in Scorpio or whatever. And I, I really don't know what all of that means, but I just know that for her anyway, on a full moon, she does not like sleeping is not really a thing for her on the full moon. So there's a lot of five minute naps throughout the day, which becomes increasingly frustrating because it starts like the week leading up to the full moon. Um, and then <clears throat> for the past few mornings, you know, I try to get up at 530 in the morning so that I can get up and do me before everybody else, but she's been getting up at six in the morning. So normally the kids sleep until like eight, 830 or something. So there's been no me time. So this morning I was just not, mm -mm. it was, I was maxed out. I was very frustrated. So I just kind of curled into a ball on the couch and just sat there for a while. And Sam's like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> There's something planetary happening and I'm just going to be quiet in myself right now so that I don't eat you all. <laughs> oh, that's such a big thing though, that like what's going on, I don't know. And I've, I've realized in the last few days, maybe, or a week or so, I don't know. So I've been, for the listeners, I've been visiting family for the last week and a half, roughly. And, um, so I'm just like in a different space, different, you know, environment. Um, and you know, as I don't know who said this, but you know, that, that saying, if you think you're enlightened, go home to your family. Yeah. And I feel like I'm doing, it's, it's been a really, really supportive trip for me in terms of my growth and evolution. And, and I'm really happy about the whole unfolding so far, um, but there have been, there ha partly because there have been some moments where, you know, I'm like, oh, I feel depressed or I feel anxious or I feel X, Y, or Z that doesn't feel good. And I, you know, in the past, I would have been super hard on myself and super like, well, I got to raise my energy. I got to shift this. I got to do this. And I was like, I don't know what this is attached to. And that's okay. Like, this is just an experience that I'm having and just like, it will pass, you know, like it will pass and I will be okay again. And I will feel joy and all the things again. Um, and that's just made it 
not attaching any meaning to anything I'm experiencing has really made such a big difference. Yeah. I had that. I had a similar experience with my family coming recently and, um, you know, eight people in my house and when they all left it, so they were here like for five days and like on Saturday was the Saturday of the week they were here was the fourth day. And that night at 10 o'clock at night, I just got super lost my shit on my kid and was just like, wow, we're not going to be around these people anymore. And I like dragged her up the stairs and I was like, we're going to bed. And, um, and I was just so beating myself up about that after they left. And I thought, wait a second, they were here for five days and only on the night of day four did I freak out. Like that was pretty good. And I was expecting that I should, I put this pressure on myself that I should hold the frequency, like hold the vibe up for eight freaking people. And, um, you know, all of them being crazy, except for, you know, two of them, my partner and the baby are usually pretty chill, but everybody else is super intense in their own way. And my whole family, besides my daughter, is like very disharmonious. Um, so, you know, I was like, okay, when I looked at that with myself, I was like, all right, it's fine. It was like a 10 minute incident, you know, where I lost my crap and then we went to bed and it was fine. And so, yeah, reminding myself to be gentle with myself because I am one person. And I think we talked about this when you were here visiting last week that letting my baby just cry on the floor when I'm doing something because I'm realizing I'm cooking breakfast. I, the baby will not let me put her down, but I don't want to be cooking with her while I'm cooking, like doing a breakfast stuff because it was like, you know, butter grease popping and all this stuff or whatever. And she's just crying. And so I just say to her, I'm sorry, baby, I'm one person and I have to cook breakfast because I need to eat and everybody else needs to eat. And if mama doesn't eat, like things are going to start unraveling. So sorry, you're gonna have to lay there and cry. And there's just like this piece that will come over me of like, yes, she's just going to lay there and cry. And it is fine. I am not the worst mother in the world because my baby is crying, which, you know, if anybody who is listening, who is when, who was into attachment parenting, that's like the thing, right? Like every, I think every parent who does attachment parenting feels guilty when their kid cries or, you know, like they're never supposed to cry. They're never supposed to feel bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to, had to reframe there too, but there's just so much stuff coming up for me. And, um, I think that one of the astrologists I was listening to, the way he phrased it was, um, now the eclipse season and the eclipse in Scorpio, it's like, now is the time where the ghosts come out to play. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's what it is, which kind of makes it a little less, serious when you think about the ghost coming out to play, you know, it makes it a little less, um, uh, I don't know. I, I can just get really serious about my stuff and just get real low down on it. So thinking about the ghost coming out and playing is less, uh, intimidating to me, I guess. And I have, but I have definitely felt that with all of these things coming up that I haven't even dealt, like haven't even had in my consciousness really, um, mostly since I was like a teenager. So this week I'm turning 40. And so a lot of it has to do with aging and like being like body image stuff, which I had a little bit of after I had my first daughter. Um, but I just was, you know, not going to feed that, but I dealt with it a lot, obviously as a teenager, I think all teenagers do. And so now I'm dealing with it in a different way as like a mature woman and I'm turning 40 and I'm like, 
oh, I have wrinkles on my forehead and dark spots and let me order this $70 cream for my face. I'm like, what, what is happening? I don't know. And I just don't, I don't really know where to go with that whole part of it. And then, so it's like this, and it seems really shallow to me to be dealing with that body image stuff. And also at the same time, I'm going through this super deep spiritual initiation that is very intense. And so I'm back and forth, I feel like, between the shallow and the deep and the shallow and the deep. And it honestly just kind of leaves me spinning, like leaves me, it's kind of like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> looking back and forth so fast. And it's a little bit um, dizzying on it, honestly, uh, just not knowing and so finally, what I came to yesterday was with the body image stuff, I'm just not going to deal with that. Like, I'm not like, so when I have those thoughts now, I've just been replacing it with what I want, right? Oh no, I love myself. I don't have those. Like, I don't think that about myself. I love myself. Like all of these things. And I think that that's the way to go for now, at least. I don't know. I would love to hear some wise older woman's opinion on this. Um, but I just don't really think that it's helpful to go into that mm. stuff at all. And, um, yeah, so that's where I'm at. I'm just all over the place, honestly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, two kind of very different things came up for me when you were talking about that. And the first, the first thing that popped in my head and you're talking about going back and forth between the shallow and the deep and the shallow and the deep was that, um, like that's polarity, right? So we can't have one without the other. And so in a way it's like, you're diving deep, but you got to come up for air. And so then you come up for air and you just kind of deal with this like shallow materialistic, whatever 3D reality, just to like breathe because it's familiar and it's, you know, mm -hmm. trivial or whatever, but it's like a familiarity where you can just like, okay, I just don't, you know, it's like the way people will like, decompress by watching mindless te television. It's like, I've had a shitty day. It's been really intense. I just need something that's going to let me think about something else and tune out for a while. And so maybe for you, because you're going so deep into stuff, that's where it's taking you to breathe. And then you can have the breaks. You can go back in. Um, and then the other, <laughs> the other thing that came up was about spiritual bypassing only because I've been thinking about that uh, recently. And just, you're saying, you know, I'm going to replace these thoughts cause they're not helpful. And I think I had like a huge epiphany about what spiritual bypassing actually is. <laughs> and that's, um, some people might call it like fake it till you make it, but it's, it's that we are trying when we try to convince ourselves in our minds that it's an entirely an intellectual pursuit. When we try to convince ourselves in our minds that something is a certain way. And so we need to be a certain way um, to like, to be this, to be that. So it's like, you know, to be spiritual and to be a highly evolved being, like, I must be compassionate. I must have patience. And it's like, but I'm not actually compassionate. And I'm super irritated about this person that I have no patience. And I'm completely, you know, I'm completely intolerant. Um, but it, it's because it's hovering only in the mind. And so it's this loop here and it's not embodied. Like as Joe Dispenza would say, like that thought never makes it past the brainstem. And so it doesn't get into your body because once it's embodied, and you don't have to think and you don't have to force it. It becomes the natural expression of who you are because it's in your body. And so your body is now programmed to operate out of a different level of consciousness. And so we sort of, it's like from that lens, like 
air quote spiritual bypass is like almost it's the it's the process of becoming embodied because it has to start somewhere and it starts as a thought and it starts as a thought that doesn't live in our bodies because our bodies have not ever experienced it. And so it's this process of how do I work with this concept? How do I work with, the, with this thought in this way, in that way, try it out, try it in practice. How did that work? Did that, you know, and it's sort of this navigational process until it starts to like really sink in, you know, we have all this languaging around it. Like when things sink in when it becomes embodied, when we feel it. Um, and, and so that's just like, you know, so you're like, okay, I don't want to think that I have, you know, I don't want to think about having wrinkles. I don't want to think about my body as being in some way, not what it's supposed to be or not what, you know, I have the story that it's supposed to be. And so I'm going to see like what those thoughts are that I don't like and what I want to be thinking and what I want to be experiencing. And then I'm just going to work on like shifting, shifting that until I can shift it enough that I tip the scale and it starts to actually sink in and become the lived experience. And yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and I, it makes me think of whenever I started on this path of finding joy, that was, I don't know, really, it was like a decade ago, but really intensely two years ago, I think like in 2020, I just realized I have no idea what joy even is. So all this time I'm looking for joy, but I have never really don't remember experiencing it, you know, in my life. So how am I supposed to find it? And, um, so I started, you know, on that path. And once you start asking those questions, then things start showing up for you. But, um, I had to find that energy, like find what brought me joy first. And one little thing that I do every day is drinking almost every day is drinking a cup of cacao. Like that brings me joy because it's this warm, nourishing thing. And it makes me just instantly feel joyful. And I like to sit on my deck and I like to listen to the birds in the morning. And so my morning time is really the time when I cultivate this practice of joy. So it reminds me of that. And yeah, like moving into being, uh, into this 40, you know, into the 40 year in this decade of my life. I remember when I turned 30, I was so excited. I had this huge, I called it my double quinceanera. I had this huge like party for myself. I wore a big fancy dress and I had a carried a chicken around as my prop. Like it was this whole thing. I had, there were so many people at my party. It was just this crazy thing. And um, like, I've never had a party like that before. It was just huge because I could never see in my life how I could live past 30. So the fact that I made it to 30 actually was like this. Um, it was just this, huge excitement for me that I made it to 30. Like I really, I don't know. On some level, I thought I was going to die before I was 30, but really what it was is that my vision couldn't go beyond that number, like that age of 30. I couldn't see what it, what life would be like beyond that, you know? Um, and so that was like my first step really, I think towards maturation of like adulthood is getting to 30 and realizing, oh, okay, I'm still alive. So now I have this whole rest of my life to figure out what am I going to do? And so I feel like the thirties really was my first time moving through. That was the first time of me. Um, I don't know, just really going into the shadow, like really going into the shadow. I thought I was doing that work my whole life because I was always dealing with the shit. But this was the first time really going in there and looking around and getting really uncomfortable and staying in that discomfort until I, you know, was able to navigate around that and, and felt like I could move out into a different place. But 
So that's what my thirties has been. It's, it was really emotional and dark. And so I am wondering what is my forties going to be? And I have sat in women's circle with women and when they, when you like, and they were separated by age. And so when the women got to the age of 40, all that they were saying, that was like the beginning of their life. And then the women in their nineties were like, life is great, but it just started to get good when the women got to their forties. And so I thought, Oh, okay. So that makes sense. Cause at the time I was in my early thirties. And so I'm wondering like, what is this going to bring for me? And I think that the body image thing is part of what's going to happen because what I remember those women saying is, I just feel like I'm starting to get into a groove. Like I'm starting to get comfortable in myself and, and standing in my power and, you know, all of these things, it's really starting to get good, but it was always like, it's just starting to get good. Mm. So I feel like the body image thing for me, maybe what it is, is the last remnants of maidenhood kind of like sinking away and that, and that, um, that idea that I have, have held somewhere inside of me that the way to be a woman is to look this way, which we talked about in the last episode. Like I have to compact myself and be small and allowing myself now to exist in my fullness and be comfortable in that. And I think that part like the body image thing, I have to look at that because I need to find a new way of existing that doesn't look like the old way, which is this certain way that I've looked this whole time. And um, I have to find this new way to look. And I have no idea what that is. I don't have any idea. So like I curled my hair for all of you listening. I was just telling Kareen, I did this thing. I learned on Pinterest, how I curled my hair with a scarf. And um, like, I don't know what that looks like. I I think about what I want to feel like and what I want to look like in my forties. And I have no idea. So right now I'm also trying to have fun and explore Mm. what that even is going to be like. And I just don't know, but I think that I'll just try to play. For a while. Hmm. Well, you know, Ann Artley was talking about, um, I don't remember what planet it is, but there's an, it's a 19 year cycle that just came to an end and now there's a new one. And yeah. Um, so 19 years ago, I mean, you were in your early twenties. Yeah. And so that, and in, in that sense, that makes a lot of sense to me. I realized that, um, as you know, I, uh, I used to play the bagpipes when I was a kid and I, just got re-inspired a couple of weeks ago and now I'm at my mom's house. So I was able to um, pick them up and have them go to my old teacher and have her like check them out and stuff. And um, she was looking at the read and the year was written on it. And I just realized that the year was uh, 2003. It's like, oh, that was 19 years ago. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So that seems to be, and I'm, I'm in this, like, I just want to play. I just want to explore and do fun things and like see how that feels to, to live Well, I think, you know, what's happening for me actually is that I've just been realizing this, like so much stuff about schooling has come up just, I I don't know exactly why, but maybe I'm, it's just more, I'm thinking about it a lot more about schooling um, because my daughter is six and, um, and I'm, it's just really, really coming home to me. Like I never had intentions of doing school with her, um, and even homeschooling and the curriculums, I don't know, all these things, like I never had, I could just never like, I could never wrap my mind around actually doing that. And in, um, 
And I always thought, oh, maybe when, you know, when the time comes, I'll feel more inclined to do something. And she's a part of a nature program and she is, you know, kind of getting some, she's getting a form of an education there. Um, but I just, what I'm, what I'm seeing is the contrast between her because now she's like school age, right? And so now I have a frame of reference for me as a school age kid and her as a school age kid. And um, I have, I, I'm seeing this, this spark that kids have, this spark of interest. And it like, like, it's spring now and it's beautiful out. And so it's like, I'm like, let's go outside. And she's, or, you know, we go to get in the car and she's just like, can I run? Watch me run. Watch how fast I can run. And she just is, it's like, as soon as she's out of the house, she has, I mean, she's buzzing with energy all the time anyway, but as soon as she's out of the house, it's, there's some other quality of energy that takes over where it's, it's just like this all encompassing excitement about just everything, you know? And mm. it's like, I want to run and I want to, and this and that, and look at this. And oh my gosh, and there's, it's just all over the place. And what I'm seeing is, you know, people talk about in, in these like alternative education circles that like kids are born like sponges learning, learning everything, watching everything and soaking it all in and learning. And like that they're inherently curious, they're inherently wanting to learn. And then we, you know, put them in this structured school environment that just like, for me, what I realized is squashes all, squashed all creative ability and squashed any, and it was the nature of how I was in that environment too. Like the, my um, imprinting, my programming, my triggers my wounds whatever all those things you know in that environment it just made me like a perfectionist you know it exacerbated my perfectionism and my uh, people pleasing my need to be approved by the teachers to be the you know the best student and so all my energy was like I got to be perfect I got to do everything right I can't ever get detentions I can't ever get in trouble with a teacher I can't ever do anything other than what they're telling me to do I have to be straight A, perfect, all APs, fives on the AP, you know, like it went from kindergarten into senior year and then into college. And so meanwhile, I'm like, I'm playing the violin and I pick up bagpipes and I um, always wanted to dance and then, but didn't really happen. And like, there's, there are these interests that sort of fell by the wayside because I couldn't ever the only way for me to excel at anything was to have it within the school structure. Mm. And because those things were like secondary or tertiary or like way out in left field, um, my own intrinsic interest in something wasn't enough for me to push, to, to like really engage with it. And I mean, to an extent, like I had some things that, you know, and and maybe I just, maybe music just wasn't it for me, but I had, you know, I like, I made things for my dolls and I figured out how to crochet and knit things. And, you know, I had, I had some, uh, some of it, but, but for the most part, it was really like, those were hobbies that I could just sort of pick up and set down, but with mm -hmm. an instrument to really become a skilled musician in anything, you know, it really took a lot more time and dedication that I was really only allotting for schoolwork. Um, and, and so now I feel like, I feel it. <laughs> the feeling that I have is that I am now coming into this place in my healing and in my evolution where I'm actually ready to do all of the things that I've already done that I like flopped on. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, oh, now I'm like in my body and now I'm 
honoring myself. And now I'm allowing myself to be excited about things and have interest in things and want to do things and not letting the entire world or anyone else dictate what that experience is for me. And so now it's like, oh, now I could play the bagpipes because I just want to do it because it's just fun. And, and it makes me excited and I get all like giddy about certain things for whatever random reason, you know, or even playing the fiddle or, um, like taking a new style of dance. Um, I've decided I really want to do belly dancing. Mm. (laughs) Um, and also, and even like having a baby where it's like, oh, I, I own this experience now. And it's not about what the entire world is telling me, how I'm supposed to have a baby and raise a baby and, and, you know, needing to fight against any of it. It's like the fight or the, whatever, whatever that is, it's, it's a level of fight. It's a level of proving it's a level of resistance to authority. It's a, there's just like all these pieces, um, that are in some way in a push pull relationship with, between me and how I feel about something and my beliefs and my values and the outside world. And now I'm coming into a place where it's so much more, um, in my own felt experience and I'm just honoring what that is and not needing to prove anything to anyone or not needing to fight against anyone about it or not needing it to mean anything or be anything or mean anything about me. You know, it's just me Mm -hmm. and then my expression of what I'm interested in or what I care about or who I want to be or who I feel I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's what it makes me think of actually is, uh, one of the reasons I've never wanted to get married is because I don't like the word wife because somewhere along the way and on my feminist studies, I learned that the word wife, like whiff means to, I think, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but I think that wife stems from the root word whiff, which is like, can't exist without the husband. Like the whiff goes with the husband and then husband, like animal husbandry, like that whole thing doesn't sit well with me. But the whole point is that it doesn't exist with like, without the man, right. Without the husband. And also that in this way that I see differently now, but it's also the same way that like, um, just the word woman, like people, you Mm. can't just have the word woman. It it doesn't exist without man, that kind Mm. of thing. So in that, in that way, in my previous way of looking things, I never, it's like, never want, not want, like you don't want to exist in reaction to something else, right? Or because there's something else exists, right? So there's like part of me that I feel that, and I kind of hear in what you're saying, it's like, um, yeah, like pushing up against something or being in reaction to, or in, but then also there's this other part in how I'm starting to see things now is in relationship to. So one can't exist, exist without the other anyway. Mm-hmm. And the really, the only issue is my, like with husband and wife, for example, the only real issue is my resistance to it or whatever, or my problem with it. Right. Because in your meaning making, and because I'm like, yeah, because my meaning making, because I'm obviously married basically like not legally married but i'm in a in a married i'm in a spiritual marriage right which is what i wanted from the beginning anyway so yeah it's this whole thing of learning to just do what you want to do without i don't know how to say this but without maybe even Maybe even it's even don't not even considering what everybody else is doing. Really, it's like staying in your lane, like you do you. I'm in this mentorship group, and one of the women in there is just 
a totally comes comes off as totally normal, you know, quote air quotes normal woman who's doesn't talk about magic and whatever. She's totally magic, but she does not talk about magic. She's like, well, I just went to the lake and I did this thing, and we're like listening to her. Okay, this is totally witchy, like what you're doing right now. Like she was totally conjuring and doing all this stuff, you know. And so our our mentor says to me because one of my things is I get hung up in the way that things look and sound and like how they're perceived from the outside Mm -hmm. or whatever like what that looks like from the outside and so she's uh my mentor says look at this Cameron she's what is she doing right now she's doing magic and she's not calling it anything like she's just doing her thing right but we call it magic we call it all these things but she's just totally doing her thing and I've been thinking about that because like yeah how do I just stay in my lane, do my thing and put blinders on to what everybody else is doing. And I feel that's what I've been trying to do for the last couple of years is just really do me. And like my mentor says, MYOB, mind your own business, mind your own spiritual business. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing or how crazy the world is. And uh, that's been a really, I've been on that for like two years at least. And that's been a really big challenge of just, oh, oh, Oh my God, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look what they're doing. I'm just going to keep going and do what I'm doing kind of thing because you get distracted or you start to feel, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, it just is, it's a big distraction to look outside of yourself. And so it's great. Yeah. Just play those bagpipes, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With the, with the irony also (laughs) that bagpipes are like one of the loudest (laughs) instruments (laughs) that exists. And I'm not going to play them in my house during the summer, most likely. So the entire like four mile radius around my house is going to know that somebody somewhere is playing them. Um, Well, you know, that's funny what you're, or it's just interesting to me what you're bringing up because um, I went to Hawaii a couple weeks ago and um, um, did some like kind of a personal retreat. And while I was there, I drew three tarot cards. Um, and one of them was the stick insect, uh, which is interesting. So they, they, I don't remember what the deck was called, but it was like spiritual animals and the, the front side of them, you know, where they're all the same was the face of this lion. Mm. And it was like every single card was the same lion. Mm. And this card, the lion was like looking at me so intensely. And I was just like, I have to just look at this lion right now. And I just looked and I looked and like, we like really engaged with each other for, I mean, like 30 seconds, like just this intense moment. And then I flipped over all the cards and that was the stick insect. And I was like, okay, was it about the lion or was it about the stick insect? But this stick insect was, has just, what it, everything that it said about it, I need to do some research because I would like to find this deck so I can revisit it. But the things about it that super stuck out with stuck out to me and have stuck with me are that like the stick insect, like nobody sees the stick insect. The whole point is that the stick insect blends in with the environment and can be very, very still, like completely still and does its own thing. And it's like, nobody needs to have any idea what I'm doing. I don't need to be proving. I don't need to be putting energy out. I don't need to be doing like anything at all that in any way relates to the outside world in terms of um, showing what I'm doing or proving or needing affirmation, right? Like, and nothing. And so when I came back from that trip, 
I was really in a deep state of integration, which was perfect because that insect really supported me in that process of like, I just need to sit. I need to meditate. I need to sleep. I need to chill. I don't want to engage with anybody. I don't need to talk to anybody that I don't want to talk to. Um, not because of anything with them, but just like, I, I just can't, I can't be interacting with the world right now. And um, so I've, I think like that medicine for me is really, it's what I have never been able to access, but always desperately longed for. And there was a podcast, I think it was maybe a medicine stories podcast um, that's was titled, We Belong to What We Long For. And I don't remember who the guest was, but that title, that name, uh, that phrasing has really um, been on my mind lately because like I have always ached for, for me, like it used to be termed, I used to term it passion. Like I wanted to know like what my passion was, this driving thing. And I was all interested in a lot of different things. And I think that's partly just my nature. And I think in human design that reaffirm, reaffirms that, but, but also feeling like it was all kind of hovering outside of me. And it was like, but I like this and I like this. And it was all these things outside of me and not really being able to ground it in myself and embody like my own deep interest and connection with my passion, with, with whatever I was engaging with at the time. Um, and so I'm coming home to that now in myself and really seeing that, um, that, that, I, you know, it's like now I'm fine. I'm starting to feel, I'm finally starting to feel safe enough to live inside of myself, which I think for most of my life, the real issue was that I didn't, it didn't feel like a safe place. And so now that it's safe and I can access all of those things inside of me, I'm like, wow, in, inside of here, I can be excited and engaged with anything. And it's like, and it doesn't feel like it's taking from me. It doesn't feel like it's pulling. I don't feel like I have to pull back or push against it or against you know, the meaning making that other people are doing around it. Like you're talking about, you know, like what, how it looks from the outside or what it means to other people. Um, and I'm finally able to just, I'm beginning to come into a place of being able to define, define those things for myself, just in direct relationship. And so, you know, you're talking about the, this wife and husband, like being in relationship too. like, on the one hand, one can't exist without the other, but on the other, like in the sort of negative context where, of dependency, but on the, the flip side is, this co-creation, this relationship that, um, I mean, you can't be a husband without a wife either. Right. You know? right. So that one is made by the other, but that that's not inherently a bad thing. It's all about the relationship and the nature of it and the level of consciousness and the you know energetics of that relationship. And so it's the same within me as without, right? So I'm now, I can have relationship to all of my interests in one particular way, but I can also have relationship to them in this other way that's a much more nourishing way of relating to my own experience and then to others and because nothing is not relationship and so even if i'm going for intrinsic motivation and i'm deeply connecting within myself i'm now in that relationship and it's so the focal point is more that relationship which is then the relationship with god and direct connection to source like it's direct relationship versus um middleman relationship which is mm. interesting because like I've always hated applying for things. I've always like applying for college was like, oh my God, just the worst. And even applying for a job, filling out the most basic forms, anything that is stands in between me and the direct experience of the thing. Like, like I want a handshake for a job, which is how I found my last job. 
I want a handshake for everything. I want it to be between me and that person, between me and that thing. And I don't want to have anything else in there because then it, it just, it dilutes it or muddies the waters or it just makes it more, um, it's like it invalidates my experience or who I am. It, the, I guess the feeling is that it, it somehow invalidates. It's something from the outside telling me how I'm supposed to relate to it. You know, like that there's, it's like, if you want me to, if you want me to work for you and I want to work for you, why do we need anybody else telling us how that's going to go? <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, I get the, the bigger picture of it, but for me, that's, that's always been a thing. And, and it makes perfect sense for me because my entire life, I have felt like there's something standing in between me and everything that I like or everything that I want to do. Mm. And, and of course, in Joe Dispenza terms, you know, <laughs> I think I'm separate from it, you yeah. know? And so realizing that it's already, it's actually within me, really what it is, is it's bringing all that stuff home into myself where it already was. And then just the awareness of it, that I'm, it already lives within me and I'm already in relationship with it. Yeah. It's lot. kind of like a churchy thing, right? Like yeah. I, yes. well, that's what I hated about church is that I would go to church and when I was a kid and I was, there would be people like uh, some churches, not all churches, but some churches, there would be like the pastor and the pastor is the connection to God. But I was, I always, my entire life have had a direct connection with God and have known that like it, you know, I would tell that to people when I was a little, little kid and they were like, mm, no, you don't, you know? And I'm like, I actually do. And, um, I just knew that in intuitively, I knew that just to the very core of my being and, so I would go to church and I loved going to church, especially when I was really young, because we went to this really nice church where there was probably, it was this huge church and there was literally probably 10 or 15 people that went to it. Nobody went there. The pastor was not popular in our small town. So everybody went to all the other, you know, it was like a town of a thousand people and there was like 20 churches. <laughs> it's just like this totally weird thing. But so nobody went to that church, but he was genuinely this really loving and kind person and really took care of my family and and when he would speak, I actually heard the truth of what he was saying. And I think probably he, or at least my perception of him was that he actually really was connected to God and he was actually ha speaking with the intention of speaking God's words. Whereas you go to other places and it's like ego, they're interpreting the Bible based on their own egoic views. And, and, and so it's like, I would just not, couldn't get down with that stuff. But um, yeah, I always had that direct perception and so, or that direct relationship. And um, there's so many, there are so many ways that people tell you that you can't have directly what you want to have. You have to go through the middleman. And that happens in spirit, spiritual, the new age or spiritual realm, even without the church that happens, you know, and um I have been in so many, uh, you know, quote, spiritual business, uh, what do they call them? Spiritual business um, masterminds. And it's, it gets that same thing exists there too, where it's like, yeah, you can totally do this, but you can't do it unless I tell you how to do it. Like, and then you get in there and all the stuff they're telling you, it's like, they've given you a formula but that formula is their formula and that's not going to be your formula for success. And I have thought this for a long time and I was actually in my, I finally just did my innate 
postpartum care certification yesterday. I did my call for that. And she said the same thing. And I was like, yeah, that's what I feel like. She's like, there's all these there's all these people out there who are selling you something and then you get in there and you see what they're selling and you try that and it doesn't actually work because it's not your formula. It's their formula that you're trying to put yourself into. So it's like, there's a lot of people in the spiritual um, community, especially in the, I don't know what term I could use, but the, what I'm thinking of, the picture I'm thinking of is these people who are like on Instagram and they're selling themselves as being super spiritual. And my, my way with that was to deal with it in the business way, but, um, it exists in all kinds of different ways, but like, I'm a shaman or I'm this, and they're like selling you this big picture. And then you get in there with them and there's actually no substance, right? Because they, they put on like this pretty picture for you, but they haven't there's not a lot of substance behind it. And so I don't know, I'm kind of lost right now. I feel like I'm so scattered today, but so my whole point, I guess, is just that there's anytime I get to a place with somebody or something where it's like, oh yes, but you have to go through me or, oh yes, but you need me, you know, it's always a red flag. Like I'm just like, no, I don't. And you're probably like either lying to me or in some sort of, thing where you actually believe that that's true or something. But yeah, it's, I always think that it's a really a direct relationship. What can your direct relationship? I um, have some people who have contacted me over the years about har like wild harvesting. And I think I've talked about this before and they would say, well, what, what's ethical harvesting? Like, how should I do this? Like, should I give tobacco? Should I do this? And I'm like, uh, are you native American? No, then no, you shouldn't give tobacco. Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like that's not your, thing, right? You're just taking someone else's thing that they've told you is what you need to do and you're doing it. And, but really all you need to have is the, the direct relationship. Cause if you go out there to harvest and you take something that you're not supposed to take, you will get what's meant. You know, you'll get the, um, the karma of that, right? Like I've had this happen where I reach too greedily into like a nettle plant or something or reach too quickly without stopping for a minute in reverence and immediately just get stung, you know, and normally when I pick nettle, I don't get stung. So it's always noticeable to me in those moments. But so everything really is about direct relationship. How can you directly connect with yourself, with God, with whatever you're doing, just do it all from that center point within yourself. That's interesting to zoom out of that because, <laughs> you know, it's like, we, you know, we talk about spiritual bypassing all the time. I feel like everybody talks about spiritual bypassing all the time. Um, but in the same way that like, ultimately at the end of the day, in the like mega macro view, you, it's impossible to spiritual bypass because <laughs> we're like, you can't, there is no getting around the work. Like it may take 20 more lifetimes, but like, there's just no getting around it. Um, and your life is going to be a reflection of what you create. So, you know, you're not like, even if you don't want to do the work, it's not like, um, like your life will be a reflection of that. And so in terms of the direct relationship, <laughs> you can't actually avoid your own filter and so it's always in direct relationship to you and where you are and how you're relating to everything. And um, yeah, that when, when I was talking about it, I was also thinking about, you know, the context of church and, um, and somebody at the pulpit being the, 
the the link between you and God. And um, I know that's not always the case in churches or in religious, in, you know, contexts, but I, I do think that that's often the case. Um, but even in, it's like in any, in any religion, no matter what, well, okay, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> My experience of it is that what I see is that in a religious context, like it, it there's that it, sort of the structure of that is that there is something in between you and God, whether it's a book or whether it's a person or whether it's a ritual or whatever. And, and everything is about how you relate to it. So like, there, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with, you know, believing in the Bible or any other religious text or, you know, taking that in as, as guidance and teaching, like, um, I feel like every, every spiritual thing that I come across, like no matter what the, um, what's the word sect, is that it? Any, no matter, no matter what, no matter what it is, like there's quotes from the Bible. I just remember reading something that was completely, seemed completely unrelated to anything. And there's like a quote from Isaiah, like it's because there's truth in everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but like you cannot, you know, you can, you can try to say like, but it's God, but God is saying this. It's like, and you can, you can, you can try and you can, and I understand how people genuinely believe this, but it's like, doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you say. Everything comes through us. Like everything relates to how we think about it, what we believe about it, how we experience it. Like there, there is, there is no getting around our own direct experience because anything that you believe like whether you believe that the bible is the word of god that is your belief and you can say yes but it's true but it's true for you through your own lens and your own belief like yes i i understand i really i really do get the like but this is an objective truth and that has nothing to do with me i get how i i understand that that belief system and i think it's because we all know that there is actually like some ultimate objective absolute truth but what we decided is on the human plane is always going to be through the human being <laughs> and so there is no getting around the fact that you are you and you exist and you have a belief system and you have a body and you have a mind and you have a spirit and all of those things are your filter for your own existence yeah it's like when you go to an oracle or somebody for divination or a tarot card reader you always have to be super cautious of who that person is and what their filter is because everything's getting filtered mm -hmm. through them. Right. And, and there are some people who like, there are some people who have done the work so they, they get out of the way and they just straight up channel it. But that takes work to do, to move yourself, like your ego out of the way. It's a lot of work. And, um, you know, that it's look, we should be cautious about who is telling us our future, you know, because you really do have to look at, at that. And even with my own self, when I'm doing my own, when I'm being my own Oracle and like connecting with spirit, I still have to, I still have to question myself, right? Like I can't just, okay, this is what it is. Okay. I have to do all these other things of questioning. And if it comes back through and repeatedly comes back through in the same way, then I know. And then there's also a thing like where I've learned how to delineate between what is my ego or programming and what is actually being channeled through. Um, 
but that, yeah, it, it's, it's that way with, with anything, you know, you're always, and that's great. Like we're all expressions of God. So there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Uh, that's God's expression working through you. And it came through you because of your filters too, like to be filtered through you, like you're the substrate that it's getting filtered through. So that can be a wonderful thing as well. And to hear other people's um, perspectives on things is great. And also, like I said, I think this is the last time um, to listen to yourself first and last, right? Like, so if you're going to somebody like that, or if you're in some sort of church experience, always listening to yourself first and last, because you ultimately have to um, filter that through your own being to, so that it does sink in with you and become, become, you know, embodied, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. There's so much work to be done in this life. <laughs> it's just never, yeah. never, ever ending. And, you know, I'm just always just the different layers and there's always something. And for me, I have this kind of mind, like the thing that I loved about being a waitress, I was a waitress for one year and um, I sought that out. Like I wanted to be a waitress and I chose this specific environment and I wanted to do that. And because I wanted to experience whatever that, what I thought that was going to be. And what I loved about it was that it was like, it was so great for my brain because I do this thing like Tetris. I call it Tetris with my mind. And so as a waitress, I could like see how many things I could do to maximize my time and become more efficient. Right. So I'd be filling up a drink and then pouring hummus and then doing this and, you know, doing all these things. How many plates can I carry? And it's the same way I feel like with, um, like all the spiritual lessons that I have learned and what I'm trying to always trying to integrate. It's, I pull something in and it's like, okay, where does this fit? Okay. And then I'm going to put this with this and da, 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 da. And it's really like a puzzle piece of putting it all together and seeing how it all works for me. Because, you know, like you were saying, what you get from reading that Isaiah verse, I may get something totally different and somebody who's in the church may get something totally different from the same phrase. And we all take something different. And I mean, that's really, that's just like the magic of it all is just getting, it's the message is there for you. Whatever message you need, it's there for you. It's like the magic eight ball, whatever you shake that thing up, <laughs> whatever's for you, you're getting, and yeah. you know, you can, you can, you, we are meaning makers. So we make meaning of whatever it is and you can go back. Like I can go back and read something I read six months ago, two years ago and find something completely different in there than I find, you know, that I'm finding now. So yeah, I, which I don't know, that could lead me on a whole other tangent about this trip that is life, that like all of it, none of it even exists. Like we're all just creating the existence ourselves. We're all just making the meaning in everything. Um, you know, like, I don't know, I could just go so far on that, but, um, even our relationships, like I could say that my, I have this, there's a meaningful thing in my relationship with you, for example, and I have make it this big meaningful thing. And then to you, you might just be like, oh yeah, that's Cameron. Like not have those, right? Like not have those same feelings. And I actually, that happens to me quite frequently. I'm like, oh, this person's my friend. And then I, all of a sudden they're like, who are you? Like, what's your name? I'm like, oh my God, I totally thought we were connected and they don't. So yeah, I don't know. Are we all just making it up? <laughs> Yeah. Well, that gets into, that was taking me into like attachment to 
um, well, just attachment, you know, and attachment being the, the root of suffering. And what you were saying about, you know, you could revisit something and it'll have a different meaning for you 10 years down the road. And that that concept of like attachment being the root of suffering, um, or does, I guess, what is it? Desire is the root of all suffering, but that desire is attachment. Like it's a, it's an attachment to getting what you want or something being a particular way to a desire being fulfilled. And um, so that's really like, my perspective on that when I first heard that was like, well, I'm not allowed to care about anything. And like, but that sucks. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and so now, which is like 10 years later, I just, that came in as you were talking and as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, actually like, that's a very liberating way of relating to life because we are meaning makers. And so if we attach meaning to everything and their meanings that cause suffering, you know, like any, any time we're attaching a meaning to anything or at attaching to anything, attaching to anything being at all in a particular way, that, that opens up the door of possibility for some element of suffering. Um, and so in any, in anything at all, in any relationship or in any outcome, like, I mean, <laughs> this is a hard conversation to articulate, um, but it comes back to, and this, I was thinking about this in something earlier that you were saying about personal responsibility and being, you know, like staying in your own lane, taking hundred percent personal responsibility for yourself. And that's not in a, um, F you kind of way to everyone else. And that's not in a, like, well, I don't care about anybody else. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm the only one who matters. Like, it's not at all like that. It's just that I own everything that I think, feel, believe, experience. And I recognize that it all has to do with my filter. And um, so if we go about our lives from that perspective, then, then we are unattached to, we have the potential to be unattached to how the entire world interacts with us, thinks about us, feels about us, believes about us, and wants from us or you know needs from us, and and that facilitates being present with everything that is as it arises, and you know from that place like that that really is absolute liberation from suffering because you're meeting what arises as it arises, and are no longer in that push pull. Like I was talking about earlier of being kind of constantly in this tug of war with myself and my environment and everyone in it. Um, and the more that I hone in on my own energetic experience and just letting it be what it is and honoring what it is as it arises, um, I allow myself the space to just be present with what is, which comes back to what you were talking, you know, it was another perspective thinking about what you're saying about your body image and look at looking at the lines on your face and what it should be and all that stuff and kind of going from to this shallow place um, that. So where, where I sort of the nuance of, of what I question in my experience is that knowing you know, there's the concept that everything is perfect exactly as it is. Like there is no timeline. There is no time. We're all going to get where we're going. So it doesn't really matter how we get there. And the whole point is that we just get to choose and we get to play with it and we get to navigate it as we go. Um, and so 
do I sit with everything that arises and just allow it to be exactly as it is and not need it to be anything else? Like, okay, I have wrinkles on my face. Okay. Do I need to actively replace that thought or do I not? Do I just be with it and let it flow? Or do I say, well, no, I don't want to think those things. I want to create this. And it's like, do they both take us there? I think so. <laughs> do they take us there in the same way? No. Do they, does, is one faster or better than the other? Not necessarily. Maybe. Depends on what you're going for. You know, if you're going for like right now, I actually don't want to allow myself to indulge any negative thoughts about my body. So I, every time I recognize one, I'm going to shift it. And then there's this perspective of it doesn't matter because I know, I know it's true. Deep down inside, I know it's true. And so I recognize, like, okay, I'm having that thought about the wrinkles on my face. So what? There it is. And then it goes. And I think actually they're kind of doing the same thing because one is holding on to the truth inside of yourself. And the other one is just recognizing the thought and shifting it. But they're sort of both coming from the acknowledged truth that is, that lives inside of you of who you really are. Yeah. Yeah. And Yeah, I <laughs> I like that perspective. It, they are very similar, and just I think that the maybe the issue or the problem or what like what's the problem with the problem is really and why I've been replacing those thoughts, for example, or why maybe you know yeah, what I I'll just talk about myself, but why I've been replacing those thoughts is this idea that. Because I know in my life right now, I have several women around me who are very much like, I have never been around women who hate themselves so much and say such mean things about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm realizing as I, as you're saying this, and as we're talking about this, actually, so this maybe this has got to be perfect, obviously, but, um, for me, I think that one of my things and why I'm replacing those thoughts, like why I come to it from that perspective, because I like what you were saying about just, yeah, I'm having that thought and letting it go kind of thing. Uh, but the reason I'm replacing it is because it really is because it like triggers a fear in me. It triggers a fear in me that I'm going to become like these women who, you know, inject things into their face or do all these things that is not in alignment with me and who I am. And, um, and I don't see that doing those things is helpful to the women around me who are doing that. Like, it seems very much like it's feeding the, uh, I'll just call it the evil forces of like self-hatred and everything else, everything around us as women is just telling us, hate yourself, hate yourself. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too dumb. You're too smart. Like you're never just right. You know? Um, and so for me it is like, I am pushing up against that. And so, which ultimately that's not really what I want to be doing. So I like what you were saying about just, yeah, I'm having that thought and letting it go kind of thing. But also what came up in that conversation for me, what you were just saying is um, this, I don't know if you've heard this saying, it's, um, it goes something like the sage does nothing and leaves nothing undone. Mm. So it's like about being present in your life. And that's another thing I've been coming up or has been coming up in my awareness because I have so many things that I want to do in the world. Like I really, in my entire life have had this deep desire on some level to be an artist, like to be an artist, like what I'm doing is creating art all the time. Right. And it's had a, it's had a picture of how that looks in my mind. And I've done it several different ways and done things. And 
<clears throat> something that I've been coming up against lately is that I can't be an artist because I have these kids and I can't create this body of work that's like right now the art that I'm creating that I want to be creating is doing weaving like weaving textiles it takes a long period it takes a lot of time and I just am not finding the space to just be able to sit and weave for 12 hours a day which is what part of me wants to do and I think that it's probably an old part of me that's not being very realistic because I used to do that I used to sit and bead weave for 12 or 14 hours a day but I was before I had kids. <laughs> um, and so what's what I've been coming up against every time I get into this place, I'm like, what would you have me do? Like, what would you have me do God? Like what would be me living out what you would have me do if I just take my ego out of the way. And what keeps coming up is just be present, be present with your kids, be present in this life. And so along with that comes this devaluing. I have devalued myself as a mother and what mothering is. And that's totally programming and indoctrination. You know, I'm devaluing what I'm doing as a mother because it's not creating. And I was thinking this to myself yesterday. I was like, I want to create a body of work. I want to create a body of work. And so I was thinking, I was like, I am literally creating two bodies of work right now. And like my entire day, my entire day, every day is spent creating. I'm creating in the kitchen. I'm like creating, I'm learning how to like manipulate my children to become these like beautiful beings that they are, but like learning how to like harness that. And I'm just doing magic all the time. And not appreciating that what I'm doing is doing magic and creating all the time. And that's what I want to be doing. It just doesn't look like I want it to be looking. It's not me sitting alone at my loom, weaving for 12 hours a day. You know, it's totally ridiculous. And I, I'm getting that, but you know, and, and every time I ask that question, like, what would you have me do? It's, you know, sit here, be with the baby. And I'm like, seriously, again, like, okay, I'm ready for these kids to be teenagers. Um, but, and then there's also this whole other thing where I am, it is very strongly in my body that I have to have another baby. And my mind is like, no, you can't do that. And no, you want to do this. You want to be an artist. You want to do this. And I keep writing it off. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have another kid. I'm just going to stick with these kids. I know I have a choice, but the truth is I don't actually have a choice because there is another baby that wants to be born through me and it has to happen. And it's such a strong, such a strong um, force that I cannot deny it. Like I cannot, I can't deny it. And it's, I just, I don't know. So I'm at that place too. Where I'm like, all right, well, it's probably not going to happen anytime in the next 10 years that I can just sit for 12 hours a day or 20 years, who knows how long I think I'm being hopeful saying 10 years, but, um, to be able to just sit at my loom and weave. And also at the same time, some of the most productive artists I know are mothers who have two hours a week and they just are super, um, efficient in those two hours a week. They create, you know, in a year, they have a body of work that they've created in two hours a week. So I know it's perception. I know that it's my way of thinking about things. And it's like, I'm so in it. I'm so in it. And I just cannot get out of it. And yeah, so it's an interesting, interesting place to be for me. It's just being present, sitting with what is and really acceptance. I think, <laughs> I think I'm just not accepting that shit. <laughs> surrender. Yeah. Surrender. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You know, I mean that your third baby is so strong that when I was there, I was like, oh, there's another baby. You're going to have another baby. You have to have another baby. I know. <laughs> like, when are you having this other baby? <laughs> when is the next baby coming? I know. Um, 
Yeah, no, I totally, that it's, it's weird actually. Cause I, I feel like, like that was one of the first thoughts that I had, like we sat down and I, I wanted to, I wanted to say like, so when are you going to have another baby? <laughs> or are you going to have so another baby? It's so strong that I honestly, like, I think that I, I don't know right now it's really strong cause I'm ovulating too, but I, I just have had this thing. Like I have a timeline in my mind of mm -hmm. when that can happen. And I'm honestly like, Anytime Sam looks at me, I'm like, don't look at me, man. I'm going to get pregnant. If you look at me, don't look at me. <laughs> and, you know, I just, yeah, I just feel like it's going to happen a lot sooner than I want. But yeah, you know, it feels like, it, yeah. I mean, I've known since six days after I had my baby that another one was coming. And I, wow. you know how when I was pregnant, I talked about it on here when I was pregnant, I thought I was having twins. Mm -hmm. And so, and then that just kind of disappeared, like that feeling just disappeared. And so I kind of think that, like, you know, they say God only gives you what you can handle. I think God was like, girl, you can't handle twins. So we're just going to move that out of the way. But now I'm going to get the twin, right? Like I'm going to get that second baby that mm. belongs with Indra. Oh, so no, you're, you're, you're out of the window of Irish twins. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, then I, you know, that totally is a thing in my family. There's like two sets of what, you know, I didn't know the name for it, but you call them Irish twins, but it's like two babies in the same year. Yeah. Yeah. That is a thing in my family, but so I thought that was going to be a thing, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just, it's yeah. coming. <laughs> well, wait, and I wanted to speak to what you were saying about, you know, like you have, you created two bodies of work and they're in, you know, they're in constant creation. Um, I, I recently in the last month, maybe or last few weeks came to that same, um, sort of thought process. I think as I was, um, I had two kind of big meditation retreat things happen this year already. And to, so it's just been a lot of like deep work integration. And then I had a geomancer come to my house. And so there was integration from that. And so it's just been this, it's just been a lot of that, a lot of like stillness, being really present with myself and honoring what comes up. And, um, and it has not been a time of outward creation and outward production and demonstration. And um, like, that's part of what the stick insect medicine was, you know, it's like, this is not about showing the world anything, um, which was so, such a valuable experience for me. It's so important for this process that I am in and really desiring this deepening inner connection and connection with God and with the earth. And what I, <laughs> I realized like the same thing that like, I am constantly working and I'm constantly creating change and i'm constantly in active engaged relationship with um this role as mother and um and the fact that i would discredit that is just so ridiculous because it doesn't meet somebody else's standards of how my life is supposed to look or what i'm supposed to be doing and um when i you know when she was when I was pregnant and when she was little, like a baby and really little, I had, I, I was holding so much shame and um, like really bearing the burden of the responsibility on my shoulders. Cause I was like, well, I got pregnant. And so, and then I, you know, I chose not to be with the father. And so like, this is nobody else's responsibility, but mine. And so I really took it on in this like negative way that, um, I didn't have a right to have help and I didn't have a right to, um, 
to have anything really. It was like, I just had to, like, this is what I had to do, but in a, in sort of the burdensome way. Like it was your prison that you created for yourself or something. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and that did nothing positive for either one of us (laughs) or anyone else. (laughs) And so fortunately I've done a lot of work on that and I'm not in that place anymore. And, and now I'm seeing like, so my daughter goes to camp three days a week. So she's gone from nine to three, more or less three days a week. And, and you know, people will be like, Oh, what have you been up to? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, meditating. I've been taking a lot of naps, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm like, what am I doing with my time? And especially being, you know, back in Ohio for a bit, um, I'm like, you know, bumping into people. Oh, what do you do? Where do you live? And I'm like, oh, uh, well, you know, I'm raising my kid and I'm doing, I don't know. You know, like I never know how to answer people with what I'm doing. And I have, it's always been a thing of how do I, how do I, how do I justify my existence? How do Mm -hmm. I justify myself to be here, to have the life that I have? And like the only reason that I would have to justify my existence is because I give a shit about what anyone else thinks about my existence, which is like, they're not responsible for it. I came here, which means I'm here, (laughs) you know, I'm of God, just like everybody else's. So I have no more or less of a right to be here than anyone else. And the way that I'm doing it is the way that I'm doing it. Just the way anybody else chooses to do it is the way they're doing it. And, um, I could think that like my life is a waste and I'm not doing anything with it, which is completely not at all true in any capacity. Like if I look at who I am now and I look at who I was five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, you know, even at points where I thought I was like on my growth and evolution path, I am hands down a better person. I'm more connected with myself. I'm more connected with God. I'm the best mom I've ever been. And I love myself more than I ever have. I love my kid more than I ever have. I am more present. I'm more engaged in my community. I'm more supportive of my neighbors. I love people more. I have a more open heart. I intend to connect with people. I intend to keep my heart open. I intend to ground with the earth and I live out these intentions to the best of my ability every day. I intend to maintain my connection, my constant connection with source. And I live that out to the best of my ability every day. And like, so all of the um, three-dimensional reality experiences of what people want to tell me makes a life justifiable, worthwhile, worth living, whatever. It's like, I know, I know that I'm not out of the woods yet with that. I get that I still have reservations. I still have insecurities. I still have thoughts. Oh, I need to be doing this. I should have a job. I should be producing. I should be blah, 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 blah. It's like, I don't have the energy for that. And it's not going to serve anybody if I waste the energy that I have at this point, like that's, that's kind of what I was getting at about, you know, um, honoring what is honoring what your experience of your body is in this moment, but you're no, you know, that there's a deeper truth. Mm -hmm. And so we can honor these like shallow surface things that happen because it's just, it's just, is it's just part of living in a human body in the three-dimensional earth plane at this time. And, and where I'm going is somewhere else, you know, in my consciousness, in my being, in my energetics. And I give so much energy and so much attention to being the best embodiment 
of love and joy and connection and understanding and presence that I possibly can with every single person that I interact with. And I know that I see people who aren't doing that and I judge them for it. And then I recognize like, it's okay. They don't need to be doing anything else. That's where they are. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. It, it's just me. If I'm having a judgment, it's because I don't feel I'm at choice. And so when I bring it back to myself, then I'm taking that energy of toxicity out of the environment. Like I, I'm just, I'm doing so many things all the time with like every waking breath that I have. And it's not from this like self-abuse place like it used to be of like, oh, I should be holding the frequency. I should be better than this. I thought I was more evolved. I thought I would, you know, I'm supposed to be doing this. And just like this dogmatic beating myself up thing that was endemic to, you know, public education for me as a kid. Like I learned how to just drive myself into the ground, just work as hard as I could, burn myself out, but just keep going because I had to get straight A's and I had to be the perfect student. And that defined who I was and that defined my worth and de that defined my right to exist. And, and, you know, I, I just am so much in a place where I see like how, how abusive that was to myself, how unloving that was to myself. And so isn't it my responsibility to myself to deeply love and honor myself? Because I'm deeply loving and honoring God and what God created and who God is and what, you know, by deeply loving and honoring myself, I deeply love and honor everybody or I create the pathways of potential for that to happen. And yeah, I mean, I think, I feel like because we live in this world the way it is, like we're always going to be spiraling. We're, like maybe at some point the consciousness of the whole earth is going to shift and like people aren't going to have these thoughts, but at least like in our lifetimes or for the next foreseeable future, it seems unavoidable that we are going to be continuing to spiral through these, these layers of thought patterns, these layers of programs, these layers of, you know, shallow, superficial, low vibration energies, whatever, all that stuff. And, and it like, like, that's just part of what it is. And that's where the attachment comes in because if we're attached to that not happening and if we're attached to that not being the case and if we're attached to ourselves as not having those thoughts, then we're going to get caught up in the quagmire of the whole thing instead of saying, that's just what the world is. That's just what it is. Like that just happens because I have a human brain and I have a human body and I live on this earth at this time in this level of consciousness. And I'm in this environment with the crazy shit that's happening all the time around us. And not just in people, but just like the fact that the world is what it is that I drive down the road and I pass 40 houses and, you know, two miles, I don't know, a mile. I don't even know. <laughs> there's like houses everywhere and everybody has a yard and everybody has a big house. Even if they have a small house, it's a big house, you know, and everybody has the playground and the pets and the fences. And that just that, that, that is what the world is that everybody's like, you drive down a street and it's a driveway and a driveway and a driveway and a driveway. It's like, what if we just had one cleared space for everybody to connect like that? And then we go into the intentional communities. Like the world makes no sense at all. So the fact that we are putting this pressure on ourselves that somehow we are supposed to make sense all the time <laughs> is completely ridiculous. Yes. So, yes. Anyway, well, what, what it, no, it's great because what it makes me think of is, yeah, like I've been circling around that same thing too, having an awareness that I am, and I kind of do it in a funny way, but like teaching my daughter how to function in this dysfunctional world. So like one of the big things is that she's in ballet right now 
and I, I know I've told you about this. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show or not, but um, one of the big things is I'm like, okay, well, Layla, this is how ballerina acts. You can't pick your boogers. You can't fart in class. Like, you, you know, you have to do all these things. Like you can't like grab your crotch or whatever. Cause she's like always pulling her pants out of her crotch. And um, so I'm just telling her all these things and we do it in like a joking way around our house or whatever, you know, and we're like, okay, ballet face, like get your ballet face on or whatever. But also it's also true that like, I mean, I am, I'm, I'm consciously teaching her how to function in this society and like in whatever world I take her to. So that for that example, that's the ballet world. And I'm teaching her how to function in that world. And, you know, then we get in that world. And I'm like, oh my God, we do not fit in here. And like, do I even want my kid to fit in this community? Like, what's the deal, you know? And so I'm always having this awareness that I'm doing this. And also there's like this really real thing that's not funny that I feel like the pressure that I feel that I have to somehow make my kids fit into this thing. And I, I, it just came to me the other day that like I was, that this was all happening, that I was feeling this pressure to make my kids fit into a world that like, I don't even fit into and that I don't want to fit into because I, I mean, I tried, I really tried and I could not do it. And, and so I was just like, oh, okay, well, why am I going to do that? So what that means for me is that like, if my kid like farts in front of everybody in ballet class, like, okay, whatever, like how this showed up is recently we had to do um, pictures for ballet and we get there and we had just been at the lake for the weekend and it was on the Sunday. We drove straight back. It was really hot that day. She falls asleep in the car. And so she gets up and she's totally like, I don't want to go take pictures. So she's crying. And I'm like, we gotta, we gotta be on the, I'm like crazy when it comes to time. Like I cannot be late for things. And if I say I'm going to be somewhere, I have to be somewhere or it just really stresses me out. It's like a really big problem for me. So I do not ever like to be late. Um, and so we were like running late and doing this whole thing. So I'm already in this crazy state and I'm like, come on, we got to do this. Da, 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 da. And so and then I'm just like bullying her. I'm like, get together. We got to get this on here. Da, da, da. Let me fix your damn hair and all this stuff. And so we're like, <laughs> Sam, he's just so funny. He's just like this calm in the storm kind of thing. You know, he just stands there and he's like, all right, like everybody, like you see him like back away with his hands out. Like he's talking to a gunman. He's like, everybody calm down, just calm down. And I'm like, no, and I just turn around him. I'm like, I am not a ballet mother. And he's like, okay, just calm down. And so he's like, I'm going to take her inside. You just stay out here with the baby, you know? So he like takes control and he takes her inside and I go in, like, after I calm down, I go in, like, five minutes later, and she's sitting there, and she's sitting curled up in a ball on his lap, like, crying. And I was like, okay, this is, like, not cool. Um, and so I'm like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing this? And so I just look at him, let's just leave. Let's just go. And he's like, no, you know, and he's thinking at this time that this is mandatory, like, which is kind of funny. I don't know. I don't know why he would even do it if it was mandatory, but he was thinking in his mind is mandatory. So he was like going to make this happen. Right. And so this whole thing is happening and everybody, all the other moms and the kids are just like perfect. They're calm with their perfect hair. And my daughter's got this weird bang thing happening and they want your hair to be slicked back. And it's just like, uh, it's just this whole thing. We're just like, it's just like, I was feeling embarrassed at the time. I was just like, this is terrible. So she gets back there to the back he takes her back there to take her pictures. And all I hear is this like loud, like wail. Ah! And she's just crying. And I was just thought to myself, Oh my God, that's my kid. I look around and all the moms are staring at me like kind of in pity, but not like sympathetic pity, like judgment pity. And I just shrugged my shoulders. I was like, it's just one of those days, I guess, thinking that that was going to get me like a nod or like a hell yeah sister I'm with you kind of thing but it didn't they just like turned away from me <laughs> so I was like all right 
I don't fit in this situation. This is all, my life is falling apart right in this second and it's just going to be what it is. So I, my, you know, Sam calls me back to the back cause my daughter's just not having it. He calls me back there and he's like, all right, she wants to talk to you. So I go back there and she's talking to me and I'm like, you know, you don't have to do this, Willela. I just thought you wanted to do it. I was trying to make it happen, but I realized that I don't even want to be doing this and you don't want to be doing this. So why are we even doing it? And she's like, well, I still want to be in the performance. I just don't want to take these pictures. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like we can do that. And she said, I just want to dance. Of course, I just want to dance. She doesn't want to do all the shit, right? That they tell you to do. And Sam's like, but isn't this mandatory? I was like, no, I made this mandatory. This is not mandatory. I made this all up. Like I thought she would want the pictures. I just made it all up. It's my, I did this. And so he's like, okay. So he takes it. He's like, I'm just going to take a picture of you because she was in the costume. So he takes a picture of her. I was like, that's her picture. So later they send me the pictures that they, I guess they did get some pictures of her or whatever. They send me the pictures and they didn't charge me or anything. They're like, we just thought you, we made a separate folder. We thought you might want to see these or whatever. I don't know why they did that because they're the saddest. She's literally crying with these bunny ears on and she's just like, it's the saddest thing. And I was like, why? And so my mom sees them and she's like, I'm going to print them off. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, we're not going to do this. We're not going to like pull these out in 20 years when my daughter is like, you know, we're not going to make it a thing. Like, it's not going to be a thing. We're just going to forget that this ever happened and nobody's going to talk about it. <laughs> but it was like this huge awareness in me that I was trying to make my kid feel fit into something that she is not. Like I was putting her in literally a bunny costume, making her be a goddamn rabbit and she's not a fucking rabbit, you know? And it's just this whole weird thing and, and how I do that to myself and trying to fit it. And, and it, it has extrapolated into this whole bigger thing in my life of where I can't even be around people that I love because I have this constant feeling that I have to, or this pressure I put on myself that I have to keep it together. I have to hold it together. So when you were here recently, I was talking about my postpartum period and how one of my dearest friends came and I still was stressed out. And after we had that conversation, I was thinking about it and I, and, um, you know, we're coming to visit you soon. And I thought, Oh, well, if I was stressed out around Carmen, I'm going to be around, am I going to be stressed out around Kareen and this whole thing? And so I started thinking about that and I was like, Oh, I'm only stressed out because I think that I have to like keep a lid on it. Like that I'm this crazy beast and I have to keep a lid on myself so that like you don't see my, me and my family's shit or whatever. Right. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I don't have to do that with Kareen. That's fine. Like we were past that in our relationship. Like I don't have to do that. And I didn't have to do it with my friend who came. Like I don't have to do it with anybody who's really my friend. And yeah, it was just this kind of like huge moment where I thought, Oh, I can actually be with people and just enjoy being with them and that things are going to be crazy at some times and not at other times. And it's all fine. And it doesn't have to be me taking it on as like, what a big piece of shit I am because my child is crying or whatever, you know, like, yeah, just so this huge thing has just opened up for me <laughs> around that. And I'm thinking like, maybe I can actually like hang out with people more often because now I can remove that pressure from myself and just let things be what they are. <laughs> yeah. I totally hear you on that. And I, one of my teachers said to me recently, like it, just let it be messy. Yeah. You know, like it's okay to let it be messy. And I think that it, that's some deep programming that we carry. I don't know if it's specifically as women. I feel like it's more as women than as men, but I can't say that for sure. Um, but it, it's sort of that feeling of like, we are responsible for keeping it all together for like, 
you know, you know, if you watch, like, I'm sure people have seen the movie Titanic. I don't know if you've seen the movie Titanic. I just remember there's the scene where um, Kate Winslet, is that her name? Yeah. Her, her mom in the movie is like tightening her corset and they're talking about, you know, it's just this very, like, it's symbolic, but she's like tightening her corset as she's talking. And it's like, you know, like, suck it like, in. <laughs> like, but you like, you, you hold, yeah, you don't let anything out. You don't let anything slip. You don't let anything leak over. Like it's, you know, because she's talking about how like, you know, you know, all the money's gone. Like, you know, Kate had to marry that guy, Cal, so that they yeah. could have money because all the money was gone. And so it's like, we have to be just like this. And it's, it's totally like, um, I, I think that's, we've just carried that for generations. And, um, and now it's, with with social media and with the fact mm. like i think i was but i don't know if i was talking about customer service to you i was talking about this recently like i've just had a series of customer service interactions recently where i remember when i was a kid like we would call some company because we needed help about something and like the customer service people were so terrible like they obviously hated their jobs they were just had no patience for you at all and you'd get off the phone and be like that was awful and i did not get what i needed and, or like even going into a store, I just remember, I think my mom saying like, oh yeah, the customer service people, you don't want to go to that store because the customer service people there. And, you know, like going to the customer service desk was something that you dreaded. <laughs> and now I feel like every interaction I've had with customers, I had to talk to Apple recently. I went to the Honda dealer recently and just everywhere I've been, the customer service people are so nice, like off the charts, friendly, helpful, and nice. And, and it doesn't feel like fake. Like it feels like these are just like maybe people who are well paired with their work. I don't know, but like, it's just such a like breath of fresh air. Like, wow, customer service is so helpful. This is so great. <laughs> like it's not a big deal if something happens cause I have help, you know? Um, and, and I was thinking about it and thinking nobody can afford anymore to have, to be anything but like, perfect you know the company can't afford to have customer service people who hate their jobs and are rude to customers because they're going to get shit like up the wazoo on any review where it's possible on social media like anybody's going to post anything whenever they don't like what they experience and i was just i'm in this process of my some the reason i was on support with apple was because my phone stopped working and now you know we're talking about like limited technology and i'm like I don't think I actually want to have a phone anymore. <laughs> Getting into this, but I'm looking at like low tech flip phones, and um, and it's just uh, I totally lost my train of thought while I was bringing that Customer up. Customer service. <laughs> Customer service. Apple. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's funny actually because when I went into the Apple store, I, <laughs> I was like, we were talking about getting the new phone, and then fun, fun. There's like, you know, you can't, your phone can't be fixed. And I was like, I know, but I just. I'm thinking about maybe not having phone. And she was like, oh, okay. And then like, and then her friendliness totally shut off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I see where this limit, where this ends. Yeah. But, oh, is that I was reading reviews about flip phones and it's, you know, reviews are really helpful, but you get like, you know, 50% five-star reviews and then a smattering between four, three, and two, and then like 30% one star. <laughs> you know, people are like, they either want to love it or they want to hate it. And they want to tell you what they think about it. And so 
Um, that works to your advantage as a company if you have great customer service, but if you have shitty customer service, you're going to end up with a lot of shitty reviews and then people aren't going to want to use your company. Um, but I really think like it's this thing that we now, you know, we went from like whatever other social contracts that we were living under to now anybody's in our business all of the time and there's security cameras everywhere. And, you know, this person's going to call this person on you or just uh, that there's so much like civilian patrolling mm -hmm. of everybody on social justice and all, just all that stuff that like that feeling that we've carried with us forever of like, I can't step out of line. It's like, no, I really can't step out of line. I can't do anything wrong. I can't yeah. like, if I have a kid who's crying, somebody's going to be on Facebook being like, I was at this thing and this woman's kid was crying and she wasn't doing anything about it. And blah, 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 you know, and it's like, you're going to get the shit no matter what. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah. Totally, like, I just, it makes so much sense that any of us would be feeling like, like I have to just toe the line. Yeah. Yeah. And then you only have to toe the line in that world. And that's the thing is I don't actually live in that world. You know, I interact with it, but that's not the world that I live in. So I've been taking that stuff from that world and putting it in my world, which isn't like the reality of how things are. and. So that's a whole interesting thing. It's like how to live in several different realities or how to live in your reality and interact with other realities. It's like keeping your bubble with you everywhere you go. And also maybe not, maybe we just go into those worlds and we carry our world into those worlds. And like, if they see the mess, then they see the mess and they can suck it and you can like mess up their world a little bit and it's fine. Like, <laughs> you know, I'd rather ha be in, I'd rather give my shit to their world than their shit into my world. So yeah, I don't know that, I don't know that it matters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in that way, but, um, yeah. Well, that makes me think of, I think when, when we were visiting you, we, you, that was when you were talking about opportunistic eaters, like that humans are opportunistic mm -hmm. eaters. And so in that way, like we're highly adaptable. And so it makes sense that you would enter a different world and then like shift your behaviors accordingly because you're like, what do you, what is your feedback from your environment? Oh, well, it's telling me this. And so now I'm going to relate to it in this way. Um, and, and if you don't, are you being obstinate? Are you judging? Are you saying my world's better than your world? You know, it's like, we can get into all these like really heady things about it. Like I have an Amish community where I live and I, in the summer, try to wear as little clothing as possible because I like having as much sun on my skin as possible, which typically means I'm wearing like short jean shorts and a tube top. And and then I go like to the Amish stores shopping like that. And I always think about that. I'm like always hyper aware that I'm doing that. And it like, I'm like, is this inappropriate? But they know they have chosen to have businesses that are going you, yeah. to interact with the English as we are yeah. called, you know? So like, it's sort of, a, it's a very interesting meeting point on, a, on this threshold where in, in a way, like we're both kind of towing into each other's worlds, but we're also like, I've thought like, oh, should I put on a sweater? Should I wear more clothing? You know, should I be a little bit more conservative with my skin um, when I'm in that store? I'm like, well, no, because they're, they have decided that this is like how far into this world they're going to step. And so I'm allowed to bring myself into that world and I appreciate what they bring into my world. And so, you know, we can have this meeting point 
and I can, you know, it's like take the best and leave the rest. I can take what I want from what they have to offer. And likewise, they're taking my money and getting my business. And so like, you know, it doesn't, I think it doesn't always have to be like, it's, it's, you know, it's maybe actually the, I love the Amish so much. Like there's such a good, there's such a good model for life on so many levels, but I never really thought about this one that they're really demonstrating like at this precise threshold, how we can hold who we are and meet you where you are. And it has nothing to do with us. And like, I mean, maybe they all think I'm going to hell. I don't know, but you know, it's like, we don't have to, like, there doesn't have to be anything else about it. And so, um, maybe, I don't know. I think, you know, thinking about in terms of your dance situation that, you know, you, do you take your shit into their world? Do they, do they leave your, their shit in your world? And maybe it comes back to like what we we're talking about. It's about staying in your own lane and about not being in that push pull relationship with your environment that, Really, the goal is to just take the best and leave the rest, but hold your own, hold your own bubble, stay in your own lane, and that maybe you can do both. Yeah, stay in your own lane. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I totally hear you with the Amish. Well, on that note, the baby yeah. just arrived. It's, <laughs> Hi, baby. This is the first time I will say the first time that they, she's gone on an adventure with Papa. He took all the kids, the both of the kids, and they've been gone for like two hours or so. Oh, I had wow. some breast milk. I put it in a bottle, and I was like, "Here you go." So we'll see. I'll find out how that went. But she's she's pretty calm right now. So yeah, we'll see. Wow, that's so exciting. <laughs> I know. I'm like, mm, maybe I can pump more and. <laughs> have that happen more often, but just two yeah. hours once a week. Oh my gosh. I don't even know how much I could create in that time. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you for joining this conversation between women and we'll be back next month. <laughs>